With COVID-19 affecting nearly every aspect of our lives, what is it really like to be flying right now? Today we'll answer that question from many different perspectives. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. Although many parts of the country are still under some travel restrictions due to the COVID-19 pandemic, NBAA continues to be active and working to ensure all U.S. airports remain open and continue to be recognized as part of a federally managed national transportation network. That said, there are conditions that business aviation pilots need to know about for some locations. So how can you determine what conditions may affect your next flight? Today's guest will walk us through the relevant guidance. Alex Gertson is NBAA's Director for Airports and Ground Infrastructure, while Steve Hadley is NBAA's Regional Program Director and the Association's Southwest Central Regional Representative. Also with us is Russell Arena, a line pilot for Boston Scientific and Executive Director for the Massachusetts Business Aviation Association, and John Kosak, Project Manager for Weather at NBAA Air Traffic Services. Russ, let's start with you. You're still flying for your company throughout this crisis. How has your flight department adapted to continue flying safely in this environment? It's been a whirlwind out there right now. And, and uh, you know, currently I'm flying for Boston Scientific, who is a, uh, you know, a medical uh, company. And uh, we've been flying around just doing assistant and operations and, you know, critical needs uh, at hospitals around the U.S. And honestly, in my 38-year corporate aviation career, I have never seen anything even close to this but uh we uh we fly a challenger 604 and a 605 and uh what we've been doing to try to um cope with this is um while our aircraft uh are actually equipped with with uh, n95 masks and uh antibacterial uh, fluids and liquids and gloves and alcohol wipes and uh we uh wipe the aircraft down every day if we're on an ron um and wipe all the seats all the counters wipe everything down with alcohol. And then when the aircraft gets back to home base, it gets a detailed cleaning from our, our cleaning company um, from back to front um, that is uh, not done in, in the detail that it's being done right now. The company is very, very concerned about that as well as probably other companies that are flying around the country. And uh, the other thing we do, is, is, which is pretty unique, uh, is um, we're keeping our crews uh, in teams um, just in case um, someone gets uh, sick, we don't want to cross-contaminate the rest of the, the flight crews that we have. So we've been staying in teams during this time frame. I can imagine this is also a very unusual time to be flying into what are normally extremely busy airports. It's absolutely uh, unbelievable up there. The airports I can think of uh, that I've flown into uh, quite recently and have done for years has been Dulles and uh, San Francisco, and just recently uh, going into Dallas, we're coming in from the south, and they were, they, were landing to, they were landing to the south on the 1-9s, and about 150 miles out, Potomac asked us, because the winds were calm, if we wanted to do a straight into uh, runway one right, and we just kind of looked at each other and said, wow, and uh, so we said, absolutely. So uh, when we got onto the tower, they uh, cleared us for the approach, it was a severe clear day right into one right, and uh, to my amazement, and I, I mentioned to the other pilot as we were coming in, I said, just look at the airport. We were the only aircraft on uh, the tower control and uh, looking at the airport itself uh, from the entire spectrum. There was not an aircraft on the ground that was moving, nor, nor were there any aircraft in the air. And um, it was just very airy. And we got the same results going into San Francisco. And um, 
the next day, prior to taking off, we were standing on the ramp by Signature. And uh, I said to the, the young uh, guy that was with me, and I just said, it was incredibly quiet, and uh, you could hear a pin drop. And there was not an aircraft on the ground moving or anything coming in. And what's been different while traveling en route, Russ? Oh, that, that's pretty interesting in, in that en route, uh, you know, a lot more direct routing. Um, soon as you get up, take your clearance and go. Uh, once you get up into the Senate controllers, you can uh, ask for pretty much uh, anything you want. And the controllers have been fantastic uh, on that. And the interesting note about this is, I think, and uh, John could probably talk into this a little bit more also, is um, the uh, sectors uh, at the Senate controllers, I think they're combining a lot of the sectors. So you're with the same controller for a longer period of time than you ever were. And what was interesting, and we're hearing a lot, including us, uh, checking in uh, quite frequently uh, with the controllers, asking if they're still there because it's just uh, just very, very quiet on the frequency. And, you know, here in the airliners do it as well as, uh, you know, some of the corporate airplanes that may be on the frequency for us. But that was that was a big thing, too. It's just incredibly quiet and um, staying with the same controller for a longer period of time. John, from the FAA Command Center, you're seeing a bit of the other side of those conversations. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Uh, New York Center is probably the uh, best example of that. Uh, they were one of the first to uh, have an ATC zero situation way back at the beginning of this. And uh, since then have uh, come back out, you know, raring and ready to go. Uh, but that did mean that they closed down a few of their sectors uh, in order to cover it with the staff that they have. Uh, like Russ and his crews, uh, they're all working in... Uh, teams so that they don't cross-contaminate, exactly the same thing that Russ was saying. So it's fantastic to kind of see this running through all the different aspects uh, of the system. Uh, And it's it's definitely true that the the overall traffic is down over 75% across the national airspace system. I'm used to being able to pull up our um, tactical situation display at the uh, command center and see somewhere in the neighborhood of between 5,500 and 7,500 aircraft airborne at any given time. Uh, That number is much smaller now, and most of the stuff that's up there is doing what uh, Russ and his crews are doing. Uh, They're moving cargo. Uh, They're moving um, important people around, uh, you know, our, our frontline responders. And thank goodness for those people. But while it's true that in the last few weeks, we haven't seen the use of what we would consider major uh, major traffic management initiatives or TMIs like the ground stops, ground delay programs, or airspace flow programs, the potential for delays in the system does exist. Mother Nature has given us several days this spring with large areas of convective weather. Now, during a normal swap or severe weather avoidance plan event, Uh, The command center and the facilities would be busy trying to figure out how to route large flows of traffic around these areas as safely and efficiently as possible. Uh, This usually would result in required routes or at least recommended routes that are put out in advance and gives crews a good idea of what to expect. Except now, like Russ said, they're just pretty much letting them go where they want to go. Now, that still means that getting around thunderstorms, uh, most folks aren't going to want to fly through them. Uh, and some of the nasty ones that we've been seeing, uh, definitely not going to try and want to go over these lines. So the centers and TRACONs are giving the crews uh, the ability to pretty much do whatever they want to get around these storms, you know, deviate as necessary uh, for safety and, and you know, uh, comfort of flight. 
but that means that they have to give more space between these uh, flights, uh, extra miles and trail, as it were. Uh, and it's possible that these sorts of things can create some delays. Uh, also, if the thunderstorms happen to beat you to your destination, uh, again, we don't have enough volume to generate a ground stop, but holding uh, en route or at or near the destination is, is not unheard of either. So it, it's, it's just uh, different. Everything's being handled tactically right now. Steve, in addition to the operational considerations that John and Russ mentioned, another interesting factor in this situation is that crews flying across state lines may face different restrictions on travel and even mandatory quarantines once they're on the ground. What advice do you have for operators as they're planning these trips? Well, first, they need to be aware that the implementation of government uh, restrictions are very fluid and they can change on very short notice. Also, actual local enforcement can vary between locations and even within a state. For that reason, I always tell them it's imperative to check with the facility at their destination for the current local conditions before launching. Second, these restrictions can impact a crew and their workload. Uh, The impact to the crew and the passenger schedulings as well as activities on the ground. And there was always the threat of possible self-quarantining, which would affect the value of the flight. The last thing that anyone wants is for a crew or their principals on the plane to be stuck quarantined in a state. Uh, Although several of these states have implemented a temporary, uh, you're only quarantined while you're in the state. So that has given some relief from the 14-day self-quarantine. So it's all very much uh, a timely thing, which is why the regional reps have been involved so much, uh, because we are more aware of what is actually happening on the ground as compared as what's on a uh, website a map or a listing of, of state uh, restrictions. Russ, you mentioned the eerie experiences you've had flying into some what are normally extremely busy airports. What other differences have you noticed as you're pulling up to FBOs, and how have those facilities and your own crews adapted their procedures to this environment? Well, first of all, I tell everyone to, uh, as we do, uh, check with the FBOs just because they're changing their hours of operation, and um, you know they'll have some off hours either opening later or closing earlier. Uh, although they've been very accommodating, um, if you call them, they will uh, do whatever they need to do to, to make sure they're there for, uh, for, you, you know, for your arrival or your departure. Just recently, I've, um, we've noticed more and more line service has masks on. They're being very um, distant from us. CSRs has always, have always been good. They've been uh, keeping their, you know, having masks on in, uh, at the FBOs. And um, like like supermarkets, they um, the FBOs have been putting up these uh, plexiglass shields in front of on the, on the counter, which has been uh, working out, you know, very very well. So um, I would just make sure that uh, that you check in with your FBOs and making sure that they're available and uh, have all the accommodations that you need. And we've actually been taking more rental cars than anything else and trying to stay away from the ride shares or taxis for the most part. 
Alex, what are you hearing from the airport directors and managers handling this crisis? And are you aware of any airports that have shut down their operations? There have been a number of airports um, that have, uh, by the order of their municipality, you know, either whether the direction is coming from the state governor or from the mayor, uh, looked into shutting down. However, uh, they are part of the national airspace system, and each airport plays an important role as a node in that system. And it's all preempted by the federal government. Uh, so the local authorities do not have that jurisdiction for federally obligated airports, airports that have taken federal funding. Ultimately, the FAA has done a great job standing its ground and uh, working with these airports uh, and the local elected officials and state officials to communicate that to them. And um, to our knowledge, um, for the moment, all airports remain operational and ready to receive traffic. There is one airport in Colorado, uh, which is not federally obligated and does not have uh, instrument approaches, that mayor has been able to restrict it to essential and emergency traffic only. They do have an air ambulance that's based out of there. And originally when the mayor tried to completely shut down the airport, uh, he realized that uh, it would really hurt the community and uh, the surrounding areas that this medical operator uh, serves. Uh, users that are flying to Puerto Rico should also check. Uh, they, they have special health-related procedures. All airports in Puerto Rico are open, but only three remain uh, available for entry from the mainland. And then once you clear all the health inspections, then uh, operators can proceed to any of the other general aviation uh, airports. I also wanted to emphasize that airports are open and operational. The airport staff are working very hard uh, to protect themselves. A lot of them have done similar to what Russ has described as having um, an A shift and a B shift that are alternating days to make sure that they have uh, expertise such as uh, electricians and ops professionals staggering uh, their shifts. So should anybody get sick on one shift, other shift can, can pick up the work. You know, the pavement will survive the pandemic, but it really takes the hardworking people with their talents and expertise at airports to keep them going. And uh, while there might not be much traffic now, once we rebound, airports have to be ready to staff up and, and, and to service that traffic and now to continue to operate uh, the airport safely. Once you walk off the airplane and walk out of the terminal, now you have to be aware of some of the local restrictions uh, that, that might be happening. Uh, in relation to the hotspots, uh, that is a big no-no. Uh, um, air airports uh, cannot restrict traffic from the hotspots, and FAA has particular guidance uh, that they've uh, put out on that. So I would very much make... Uh, all of our uh, operators are aware that if they're hearing uh, something from an airport uh, that they cannot come in because they're coming from an area um, that's considered a hotspot uh, or see a no-tam to that effect to um, alert us immediately and we'll work with the FAA uh, to resolve that. John, what questions are you receiving at NBAA Air Traffic Services from members in terms of their flight planning and any unique aspects with operating right now? Right now, most of the stuff that we're getting uh, less to do with uh, route planning uh, because of what Russ was talking about earlier, but more curiosity about what airports are open and closed. Uh, and that goes to the ATC zero discussion. So um, real quick, just a, a refresher on that. ATC zero, if they have to 
uh, evacuate um, or clear out a facility because of the COVID or any other thing that's going on right now. Um, we had a, an emergency in Phoenix where there was a fire alarm pulled, also resulted in ATC zero. So uh, that just means that we're operating um, with less staff than normal. ATC services are not being provided by the normal, uh, whether it's the tower, the TRACON, or the center. Uh, the airspace is usually being absorbed by somebody else. Uh, the FAA has done a fantastic job of minimizing the uh, COVID cl closures uh, with most of those occurring overnight when they're having the least impact on an already uh, very stable system at this point. Back to the pavement thing with Alex mentioned, uh, White Plains is actually using this time to uh, get a lot of work done uh, on their surfaces so that they will be one of those airports that is, uh, you know, right up and rare and ready to go when this thing is over with uh, nice new pavement for uh, Russ and other crews to land on. Uh, but I want to go back to something that Russ said is um, the, the, the probably the two most important pieces of information that we can give out right now are check notams prior to every single flight. I know that you're always doing that, but I can't stress how important that is right now. Uh, mostly from an airport closure, uh, if we have the ATC zero situations or somewhere like uh, White Plains right now, uh, which is being closed for construction to everything but fixed uh, to fixed wing aircraft, not rotary wing. Uh, and the second thing is, like Russ said, call the FBOs. Make sure that the services you need are going to be available. Russ, this pandemic has also had a drastic effect on hotels and restaurants, often frequented by overnighting flight crews. Some of those facilities have even closed down. What guidance does your operation provide to pilots and crew members to adapt for that? Yeah, it's been pretty interesting because um, what what I see happening is a lot of the hotels, as you said, are clo uh, you know having a lot of closures and not only closures but dealing with food. Um, at the beginning, it was really not a huge problem, but it's becoming more and more. Example one has been completely closed down, minimal capacity, and uh, and and as far as the food issue, um, at the beginning of this thing, you could you service a couple of the restaurants at the hotels were open, but as of like today. Uh, I would say the hotels that we've um, have been closed uh, for the food and uh, pretty much no uh, room service. Uh, so we've been actually had to fend for ourselves, and um, that that puts a that puts an actually an extra strain on uh, an area we haven't talked about, which is the dispatch and the in the uh, schedulers. Uh, they're no longer available, and so we're having to look around around the airport. What's available? What do they have for services? And um, that's become an issue. And with that said, we've actually uh, been taking some food with us, uh, non-perishable stuff, um, as, as an emergency. And uh, while we're at the hotels, we get to the room wiping down the knobs, wiping down the, the remote controls on the, on the TVs, and pretty much staying in our room because there's really nothing to do. Uh, none of the lounges are open. We'll call and do like Uber Eats and uh, have something delivered and, uh, or stop at a grocery store and uh, pick up some food to get through this. And what are you hearing about this situation from your members at the Massachusetts Business Aviation Association? A few of the companies are still doing minimal flying at best to support their, their entities. And then uh, some of the flight departments are uh, just going up doing some flying and uh, just to maintain cur uh, currencies and doing some holding and doing their uh, takeoff and landings. And um, 
Uh, some of the flight departments are actually that the maintenance techs are taking the airplanes out to uh, run them on the ramp just to exercise them because, as we know, airplanes don't like to sit on the ground. But uh, basically, the majority of them are uh, just uh, staying down in place and, and doing what they need to do. And um, um, some of the flight departments are actually catching up on some training, uh, doing projects they weren't able to do before. Uh, and just, uh, I think all the flight departments are uh, just wanting to make sure they're ready to go when this thing breaks and, and they'll be able to get back to their, uh, their job. Steve, what have you and your team of regional representatives seen flight departments doing during the situation so they may continue to be mission ready, even if they may not be flying as often? Well, the preparation for a flight about what restrictive regulations are in place for the destinations and a return to their home base um, may actually begin days before a flight. The flight departments are being prepared by uh, uh, using uh, appropriate PPE equipment, depending on company guidelines, state and local guidelines, and the risk associated with the destination location, including the time spent and exposure while on location. Additional briefings to passengers of what to expect upon arrival should be done early in the trip planning process by dispatch or the pilots, depending on flight department size. Our experience um, in, with the reps early on was that passengers were not always aware of the conditions they would be exposed to while conducting business in some locations. And uh, once they became aware uh, through the different uh, means of checking with local facilities and uh, other information, they decided to make other plans or delay their trip. Disinfection, as uh, Russ mentioned, of the aircraft before and after flights. Uh, personal hygiene when working with FBO personnel and just using common sense is important to both the crew and those interacting with you at the destination. I have to do a shout out to the uh, staff at the FBOs, uh, they are on the front line. They are receiving people not only domestically, but internationally. And in some cases, they really don't know what they're being exposed to. So uh, I uh, applaud uh, the fact that they're out there doing their jobs during this pandemic. So, Alex, as we look toward our industry hopefully rebounding in the near future, and as operations begin to return to what will pass for the new normal, as it were, what challenges do you expect we might see at the airport level? I mentioned um, the concern about staffing. Uh, I think that's going to be the primary challenge for airports, both from the health perspective. Um, if somebody gets sick, potentially that entire shift may have to quarantine. But also from the financial perspective, a lot of the airports uh, have revenues uh, that have completely dried up uh, during the crisis. And depending how long it lasts, they're struggling to keep their talented and well-trained professionals there. Uh, potentially, if uh, staffing drops below certain levels, they may not be able to be open uh, 24 hours a day uh, with the same uh, level of inspections and uh, and safety. So I, I would advise our operators to to be on the lookout for that. Uh, also, uh, both the, all, all of the uh, participants have mentioned to be aware of local uh, specificities uh, with health-related uh, restrictions. I think that's going to be uh, prevalent uh, as as we start flying as well. I was talking with a uh, airport staff. Um, 
in uh, Florida in the, at an airport in the Florida Keys this morning. And uh, he had to interrupt our conversation because an aircraft flew in. And in the Keys, they're responsible for checking the occupants and, and uh, taking their temperature as, as they let them in. That's not necessarily the case at other areas in the same state in, in Florida. Uh, some airports are uh, distributing cards and it's just for information uh, to passengers and crews. Others are, are, are taking serious actions. So we need to be aware uh, that the airports are going to be tasked to do an, a number of things and be prepared uh, with each stop, uh, not not just think that uh, if I've been to a, a Florida airport before, I know what's going on in Florida. Uh, make sure you research uh, each stop for each trip to be aware of what's happening there as uh, and get the information as current as you can uh, for your time of arrival or departure. And John, what issues do you anticipate we might see in the national airspace system? And might general aviation and business aviation operations perhaps return at a faster rate than other segments? In uh, over 12 years at the command center and 20 years in aviation now, I've never seen anything like this. Um, so th- this is a best guess based on, you know, recovery from hurricanes and other things in the past. But If I had to take a guess, I'd say we're going to see the traffic management initiatives, uh, the major ones like stops, uh, ground delay programs, airspace flow programs, come back a little earlier than what we might normally expect. Uh, That might be due to a couple of things. You know, we might still be fighting uh, staffing issues with the FAA as they may still be working in the triple crews in order to uh, keep their uh, crews from cross-contaminating each other until we're absolutely sure that this, you know, this virus has uh, been eradicated or or has been moved out. Um, so staffing may be an issue for, you know, quite a while going forward at FAA facilities. I don't know if necessarily general aviation will bounce back faster than the airlines, but BizAF has always seemed to be heavily involved in the recovery and rebuild portion of major events like earthquakes and hurricanes. So it wouldn't surprise me just because of the inherent flexibility and drive of business aviation to see us leading the way. NBAA has made available a tremendous amount of information pertaining to the COVID-19 pandemic at nbaa.org forward slash coronavirus. You should also check out NBAA's thrice weekly webinar series at nbaa.org forward slash news dash hour with a variety of topics of importance to members. The April 17th episode in particular addresses operational challenges with our nation's airports. For the latest information regarding operations in the NAS, check out nbaa.org forward slash ATS. And to learn more about Russ's organization, the Massachusetts Business Aviation Association, visit www.massbizav.org. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock, and thanks for listening to Flight Plan. <laughs>